Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome to another episode of the Surge Strength Podcast. Hope you're doing well as we wrap up a crazy year, to say the least, in 2020. And I know some of you around the country, especially in the States, may be dealing with more shutdowns, restrictions. Maybe you're not able to swim as much, less access to facilities. I know that we here at Ritter and with our surge strength programs are getting a lot of teams reaching out to us because dry land is all they have for a little bit. And so that got me thinking, what else can we do to help uh, people out there that are in that same situation. So we have just released a brand new Dryland 101 course that's free in the Surge Strength Academy. All you need to do is go to surge-strength.com. It's Dryland at home. You need no equipment required. There is a recommendation. There's a bonus section around pull-ups if you can get a pull-up bar at home. But other than that, you can do it completely just with your body weight and you can get yourself better, higher function, more athletic, stronger, so that when you are back in the water, you're going to see a difference. So make sure you check out the new Dryland 101 course, Dryland at Home, in the Surge Strength Academy. On today's episode, as we get into it, on the inside the Surge Strength Academy, we're going to be talking about keeping it simple, keeping Dryland simple. And this lesson is pulled directly from the Surge Strength Dryland certification. And I felt this was a good one right now at this time too, because it's easy to get overwhelmed with dry land. And the temptation is to make it more complex. And the more complex it is, the better, right? What I've found is a lot of times more complex doesn't always equal greater results for a lot of athletes, especially on the beginner level. For most athletes, keeping it actually more simple will help them learn it better, be able to focus and lead to quicker and better results. So I thought that was a good uh, lesson to pull from the Surge Strength Academy and the certification. So that's what's going to be in the next segment here of the podcast. And then the final segment, the dry land talk, we are going to let you listen in on one of the latest SSDC study sessions. I just did this, uh, I think about a week or two ago at this point. So we have a lot more coaches that are in the academy going through and becoming dry land certified. And every now and then we have study sessions so we can answer specific questions as they're working through the curriculum on their way to earning their SSDC credentials. And so this is part one of that study session. A lot of great questions, a lot of good nuggets that you're going to pick up on in that section. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. Keeping dry land simple is the topic I'm going to cover now. I love this quote from Albert Einstein. Everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. That's the approach we're taking with surge strength. We understand that, yes, there are some things that are going to be a little complex about dry land, but that doesn't mean that everything about dry land needs to be complex. In fact, it's quite the opposite. If you work on the basics, can your athletes squat well? Can they hold a solid bridge? Things like that. It really does make a tremendous amount of difference. And I think that's where some coaches get too caught up in trying to chase this fancy periodization or the latest exercise or these crazy looking routines. 
And in that, they lose sight on the basics. Another quote I really love is from Mark Verstegen, and he says, simple exercises coach savagely well. That's all it really comes down to, honestly. And some of our exercises are more complex than others. Again, I'm not saying you should not have any complex exercises, but that's not the holy grail. It's doing the basics well. And let's be honest, you probably have your athletes, most of them, they need to work on the basics regardless of their age. We'll talk about that more, but remember, biological age is not the same as training age. And so whatever age your kids are, your athletes are, whether they're in their 70s or they're eight years old running around, just moving well and doing the basics the best they can is really what's going to get results, especially in the short term. You can actually get tremendous results from a very simple, basic program done extremely well. So don't try to set up circus acts and think that because it looks amazing that you're going to get results. It doesn't equate that way. Just an example too, we'll get into this much later, but some of the things we're trying to keep simple that can get very complex very quickly is something like periodization. At Surge Strength, we encourage you to just focus on the phases of strength, strength power, and power. And yes, there are plenty of other phases that if you really dig into periodization, you can find definitions for, outlines for, plans to follow. But for most of you, you don't need to go that deep. And let's face it, you don't have athletes, most of you, that have been training 10, 15, 20 years straight in a structured periodized strength program. So if that's the case, the basics are going to work just fine for you. So don't be ashamed of keeping it simple. That's fine. You can still get amazing results from that. And remember too, this doesn't just end with the certification and you receiving SSDC next to your name. Afterwards, you'll have the opportunity to enroll in the graduate level of the Surge Strength Academy. And that's where we're going to have continuing education that's not just in the CERT, but going beyond the CERT. Think of it as, like it says, a graduate level. So I know many of you probably don't think that, that just because you get the CERT, your education is over. But for some of you, that's not the finish line. It's more the foundation. The CERT shows that you have the foundational knowledge. Then where do we go from there? So you'll get more information about the graduate level in the CERT Strength Academy later on. But again, that's after you get certified and we pass through all this. But just know you can always learn. There's always continuous learning going on, but it can still come back to how simple and basic can you keep it. Because a simple plan executed well is always going to be be better than a complicated one that's mediocre. Dryland Talk. The first question here, Heidi um, had a question. We have found that our swimmers' cores are very weak. So in the surge strength dryland, how uh, do you view core work? And can you give some examples? Because I assume you don't mean do more ab workouts to build core. So great question, Heidi. Glad that you are recognizing that. And most coaches are going to recognize that too, especially as they get into the surge strength dryland certification and see the assessments that we have. And some of just the simple assessments, like being able to hold a front bridge for one minute or the core test where you're holding it for a minute and extending arms and going through there. So I'm glad that you're seeing this and addressing, all right, how do we do that? And so one, make sure everyone that is listening, if you have that question, you need to go and review the brace overview uh, slides. And that 
those lessons in module two. And I'm going to highlight a few of them actually in lesson 14 in module two, where uh, building the brace in there. And I'm going to walk you through that. But first off, before I go through and then actually get in detail uh, of it, I'm actually going to share my screen here in a second. Let me get that. There we go. Uh, so overall, when we're thinking about swimmers with weak cores and kind, trying to help them get stronger is just be patient and don't continually try to change exercises would be the, the biggest thing. And I could go for almost any movement, but especially I see that in core where coaches are saying, all right, my athletes are weak, so we're going to do a million core exercises. And the problem with that is the athletes aren't learning them and you're jumping around so much that they're not able to develop uh, confidence and be able to do the exercise appropriately. And instead you're trying to jump around and doing a bunch of exercise. So make sure you look at if they're, if they're weak, if summers are weak, I'm looking at all my level one exercises here. So as you can see, make sure uh, we're looking at the prone, the supine and the vertical. So all three different positions that you can do the core exercises in. And I want to focus in on this slide here in the lesson of building the brace where you want to make sure that you do one-to-one rest-to-work ratio. So let's say your swimmers can't even hold that front bridge position. And if you're confused between the bridge and the plank, the plank is when you're on your hands in a push-up position. The bridge is when you're on your forearms. And especially if you're weak in core, I would suggest doing more the bridge because it cuts out the wrist joint where sometimes swimmers are going to compensate. Athletes are going to compensate in that plank push-up position. So I'd rather be in that bridge position. So let's say they can't even hold a bridge for a minute, which is pretty weak. You need to have them do one-to-one work-to-rest ratio until they can hold it straight for a minute. So what does that look like? Let's say, all right, you guys hold the bridge for as long as you can. And let's say they're at 20 seconds. Okay. So you're going to hold them for 15 or 20 seconds and then give them 15 to 20 seconds rest. And you're going to do that a few times, maybe five rounds, maybe six rounds. As long as the form is good, keep doing it a few times. Once they get up to a minute, then you can start working on lowering down the rest. So if they can hold it for a minute and then you give them 30 seconds rest and say, all right, can we hold it for another minute? And that even may be pretty tough for some beginners. So I would really focus in Heidi, on on this slide and for all you other coaches that are trying to work with your athletes that have really weak cores and are not sufficient in that to build it up. It's the one-to-one work-to-rest ratio until they can get that front bridge up to a minute. Now, yes, all of these examples right here are in that prone position, and I would rather focus in on that and then add a few more exercises that are in the other positions, the supine, the vertical. So I'm not just saying just focus on prone, but when we're working with athletes that are really weak, I want to narrow down the number of exercises I'm actually having them do so that they can just be good at those. And then we can start to expand what they're doing uh, from there. So make sure you guys review this lesson in here. And again, that was in module two, uh, the lessons, uh, all of them around uh, building the brace there and the brace overview. So great question, Heidi. Let us know how it goes in a few weeks with doing that. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention too um, is frequency. So if you, let's say, are only doing dryland sessions, Heidi, I don't know, two, maybe three times a week, I would encourage your athletes to say, hey, can you guys do this every day at home? Can you do it before practice or can you do it after practice? And just having them 
increase the frequency will greatly help as well. So try those uh, examples there and see if you can just get them to take ownership a little bit. Because again, if you're only doing dry land two to three times a week and they're really weak, you're going to get them better, but it may take a long time. So to help fast track that, have them take ownership, do it at home uh, a little bit here. So we have another similar question on core and let's see here. All right. So right now I am struggling with building a strong foundation in my core. What ways or exercises do you recommend to cycle, to work on developing a stronger core? So similar question to Heidi, but I'm going to say that it doesn't sound like you're super weak. You're just trying to continually increase it and build just a stronger foundation. So I'm assuming that you're not able to pass the core test, which again, for those of you that aren't remembering that in the one of the lessons in the brace uh, lessons there, you're in a bridge position for one minute, then you raise a hand out front for 15 seconds, or excuse me, a leg for 15 seconds, then the other leg for 15, then an arm, then the other arm. So now we're at two minutes. And then for the final 30 seconds, you go arm opposite leg, arm opposite leg, and that gets you to two and a half minutes. If you are not passing that test, your core strength is insufficient and you need to work on it. So when we're working on building that strong core foundation, you need to take the 3D approach. What that means is we're trying to work it from all different angles. So not just a bunch more sit-ups, that's not going to help. We want to work exercise in the prone position, which is facing down on the ground. So think about a bridge or push-up, that's a prone position. Or the supine, where your back is on the ground, you're facing up. So think floor bridge or where you would start a sit-up position and vertical when the athletes are actually standing usually on two feet. You want to make sure you do exercise from each of these three buckets because that's what's going to help build it all the way around in the core here. So for some of my favorite, uh, especially level one exercises for the prone would be stir the pot with a stability ball. And that's just really slow back and forth doing whatever number of reps you're doing. There's the kneeling rollout. Uh, with stability balls. So that's the easier version. So our Technique Tuesday that not a lot of people had access to equipment this time because there's so many shutdowns happening, but we had our Technique Tuesday challenge on the kneeling rod for ab wheel. So that's a level two, three exercise. Level one, make it easier by whatever you're using to roll out, you make the diameter bigger. And so that's where the stability ball comes into play. And there's also the alternating bridge as well. So that's when you're in that prone position and alternating moving arm, arm, leg, leg, and going around. My favorite beginner exercises for level one, building a strong core supine version would be floor bridge and then single leg floor bridge as well. Also hollow, which you're not moving at all. You're just laying there on your back, hollowed out, but being able to keep that tension. And then if you can have the athletes rock back and forth a little bit as well to let them know that, yes, they're holding that tension. They're not just being floppy. In swimming, that's one of the secret sauces of why we want swimmers to have strong cores is that connection. And the hollow is a great beginner exercise for them to help learn how do I keep tension through my whole body? So when they're putting their hand in, in the catch, that tension that they get there, they can transfer that all the way through their body, all the way down to their legs. The hollow is a great beginner exercise to help with that. And that you actually see them transferring into the water. There's also the drop down straight leg sit-up. And then also if they can do the straight leg sit-up. And the straight leg sit-up is like almost level two exercise, but it's still a good uh, level one to do as well. And the drop down is obviously the easier version of that. For vertical, 
our last of the three categories for core. Uh, we have pharma carry, core push, kneeling side throw with mesmol. Now, the problem why most people skip exercise in this last section in the vertical is because you need some type of equipment. You can usually find core exercises and brace exercises in the prone and supine position that do not require equipment, which is great. But the problem is with the vertical, almost all of them are going to require some type of equipment. It's usually with the farmer carry, you're going to need some type of resistance to carry dumbbells, barbell, kettlebell. For the kneeling side throw, you're obviously going to need a medicine ball. For the core push, you're going to need a band or some type of cable system for that. So make sure you're not forgetting the vertical category in the brace uh, movement category, but realize you're going to need some type of equipment to uh, get exercises out of that. So now uh, great questions on the course so far. And remember, if you are tuning in, drop in your question in the chat, because I got a lot that we were uh, submitted here for all of you that are working your way through the uh, surge strength dry land curriculum. And this next one here. Uh, so we had a question. There's a lot of people dealing, like I said, we tried to have Technique Tuesday kneeling rollout with Abwheel and everybody messaged us, was DMing us saying, guys, I wish I could, but I'm not at my facility, shut down. I don't have the equipment at my home. And so that got me thinking. Uh, and then we had a great question about, hey, what do I do when I'm now stuck at home again for a little bit, or I'm not able to go to the facility? And we had what kind of kicked off this whole thing with the Surge Strength Dryland Certification was our Dryland at Home webinar series back in March and April. And I wanted to go back and review a few things if you're feeling frustrated and stuck that you're not able to go to your facility. So number one, I would say, don't overthink it and feel like, okay, I have no equipment, so I shouldn't do anything. Not an all or nothing approach. Even something can help. And so if I think about what's the easiest things that you could do at your home, that when you have a bunch of equipment, you may skip over because you think, oh, I got equipment, so I'm going to go do these things. Some of the more basic things. I would begin with your athletes working on crocodile breathing. Because remember, breathing sets up the foundation for your movement going forward. And so if you guys don't uh, forget, or if you've forgotten or haven't gotten to that lesson yet on crocodile breathing, remember that's where you're laying on your stomach, hands on your forehead, and you want your athletes to be able to breathe and have the bellies push into the ground and push out. And so you're helping them develop that belly breathing as opposed to chest breathing. So just having them practice crocodile breathing could really be helpful because chances are most of your athletes are chest breathers. And so what happens is then you get in dry land, everybody's tired, they're chest breathing more, and that tells the nervous system something's wrong and it gets more stressed out. And therefore they're not able to learn new techniques. They're not able to focus in on the exercise as much. So this is where I say, it's a simple thing. And when you have access to equipment, you're probably not thinking, hey, let's do crocodile breathing. You're thinking, hey, let's use this equipment. Let's use the medicine balls. Let's use the bands. Well, if you're stuck at home, have your athletes work on crocodile breathing. And then the other thing then beyond that, once they get to belly breathing a little bit, remember the self uh, test on the gut punch. So like I'm doing right now, make sure you're able to breathe or talk, keep tension 360 and give yourself some light punches all the way around and see if you can hold that tension. So if nothing else, coaches, have your athletes practice crocodile breathing and gut punching to make sure that then when they come back, their breathing is a little bit more efficient. So that's that's bottom line. Anybody can do that. No equipment required. Now, the next thing I would work on is I would focus in on module two, lesson eight, 
the functional movements and exercises for improved mobility. And mainly those are around the shoulder because of course, as swimmers, the shoulder health is, is critical. And that's usually what's going to get your kids out of the water. And so some of my favorite stretches and movements for function and improving the function of the shoulder, none of them require any equipment. Well, the last one, a kettlebell, but other than that, no equipment required. And so you can do the Eldoa stretches, the ABTs. You could do the kneeling T stretch. You could do around the world, the EUT stretch, the seated wall angel, the sumo squat hold. All of those require no equipment, usually just a wall to lean up against or use. And remember, you can access all those exercises on the YouTube channel as well. Just type in the search for the name of any of those stretches and function movements, and they're going to pop up. So the halo with the kettlebell, that's the only one that requires equipment. So if you don't have that, that's okay. You have a bunch more that you can do. So if nothing else, if you're stuck out of the pool, not at your facility, work on your breathing and work on the function of your shoulder. I don't think a swimmer could ever do either of those things too much because most swimmers are poor breathers. They breathe from the chest and their shoulder function is average at best. And so if you could just have them do that, they're going to come back to you as a better athlete from a breathing standpoint and a shoulder function health standpoint, that then you don't have to worry about their shoulders acting up either in dryland or in the pool. So if nothing else, just focus in on that coaches. Uh, and I know it's frustrating if you're not currently in the pool. Next question. Uh, another question I have is what stretches or exercises do you recommend to work on for shoulder and hip mobility? One of the things I'm struggling with is consistently tight and sore shoulders, but I also feel as if, as if I'm missing a hip action in terms of dolphin kick motion and rotation. So great question here in identifying, hey, shoulder mobility isn't great, but also the hip mobility and how that affects things like the dolphin kick or other things that you're going to see in strokes. So first I want to say, if you haven't thought about this already, there are a lot of joints in the body that mirror each other. And funny enough, hips and shoulders mirror each other. They're both ball and socket joints. Elbow, knee, both are hinge joints, fingers, toes, okay? So if you look at the body, there's a lot of mirroring that goes on. And the other thing to think about is the pattern of joints being mobile or stable is their primary focus. So some joints, their primary focus is being able to move as much as possible, while other joints, their focus is being as stable as possible so you can produce force off them. So it's interesting too, when this person asked the question about shoulder and hip mobility, those two are actually very much connected. Now I'm going to walk you through it here. So in the pattern of joints, in terms of they're alternating from mobility focused to stability focused, the thoracic, so you think about all the vertebrae that your ribs attach to. So not your neck, not your low back, everything in between the 12 vertebrae there those, that job of the thoracic uh, joint is to be able to move, is to be able to provide rotation as I'm twisting here. That mainly should come from the thoracic. Lumbar should be primarily stable. Then when we get down to the hip, that should primarily be mobile. Then the knee should be stable. So why did I lay that out for you? Mobile, stable, mobile, stable. The problem is, so most swimmers, their shoulders the actual ball and socket of the shoulder is not very mobile because of uh, the position they're in or certain muscles are tight and weak. And so what happens is they have to gain mobility 
from other places. And that starts to beat up on the ball and socket joint of the shoulder. They're missing a lot of mobility in their thoracic because of the position a lot of swimmers get in purely because of the, the math of swimming, right? And if you're anywhere through the, the first module, I lay that out for you in terms of how many arm strokes a swimmer takes and ultimately their posture suffers as a result of that. So then thoracic mobility starts to decrease because of the position that they're in. So now if we have thoracic mobility going down, that's even worse for the shoulder in terms of health and being able to move. Well, if the body realizes that, oh, the thoracic mobility isn't very good, it has to either go up or down the chain to find that extra mobility. Oftentimes, it goes down the chain into the lumbar and say, all right, lumbar, you got to move a little bit more. You got to make up for what it's lost in the thoracic. Now, the problem is the lumbar is supposed to be stable. So now you have it flipping. So then the pattern starts and you can see the domino effect. Things start to get opposite very quick. And that's where the connection with the hips happen. So now all of a sudden, if the lumbar is trying to get more motion to make up the, for the thoracic, there has to be stability somewhere. And that oftentimes then comes from the hips. So the ball and socket, and that's where you're going to get tight hips. So tight shoulders actually are very much related to tight hips. And I hope that you guys kind of followed that. I went through that pretty quickly. Should lay that out a little bit more in the graduate level on some course. But bottom line, if your shoulders are tight, your hips are probably tight as well. And if your hips are tight, it's probably going to affect your shoulder. So doing all the exercises uh, that I just talked about, the at home, that's a must, even if your hips are tight. And then with the hips, there are things like uh, hip circuits or the straight leg uh, with the band and being able to release that hamstring a little bit as well and working around that, but they're very much connected. So don't just think, oh, my hips are tight. I got to work on that. It may be all the way connected to your shoulder. And again, as a uh, dealing with swimmers, I always go back to the shoulder is usually the start of a lot of issues. Okay. And if we can make sure they have healthy shoulders, a lot of other things fall in place. But as a swim coach, you are always fighting that battle of your swimmer's shoulders being in a bad position, their posture being in a bad position. And that starts a negative domino effect all the way through the rest of the kinetic chain. So if anything, always do shoulder mobility exercise, if nothing else, to help those dominoes stay in place and for it not to end up being a bad situation down the rest of the kinetic chain there. So I hope that helps uh, answer that question with the shoulder and the hip mobility. Um, another question, so going back down kind of to if uh, you're in a kind of a lockdown situation, not able to go to your facility, not having a lot of equipment, guys, you probably spend more money on your tech suits than you have in equipment the past five years. Okay. So I don't want to hear any more excuses of, well, I don't have any equipment at home, Chris, so I can't do this or that. Okay. You spend a couple hundred dollars on a tech suit once or twice, maybe multiple times in a year. Pull-up bar, a kettlebell, and a band. $150 tops. Okay. That's if you're getting a heavy kettlebell. If you're getting a, a moderate kettlebell, a beginner kettlebell, you're under a hundred dollars. So no more excuses on, I don't have equipment at home. If all you did was get a pull-up bar at home and a kettlebell. So for females, I would recommend starting off at eight or 12 kilograms for uh, guys, 16 or 24, or you could go a little bit lighter too, just depending on what you think your strength is. And then some super bands, one inch, one and a half, and two inches, or even just get one of those uh, if you need to save a little bit of money. But easily, you could get all three of those items 
for less than $100, if not maybe even less than, I don't know, kettlebell is going to be the most expensive thing out of that. I'm thinking uh, the cheapest you could probably get a kettlebell for if you're going on the lighter side is 30 pounds. So maybe you're under 70, 60, $70. Okay. Again, you guys easily spend that on tech suits a couple times a year. So invest in equipment at home so you can help yourselves in that situation. All right. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your Dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.